Fs, this is InsureTech Insider News. Today we bring you Chubb and Chile InsureTech Betterfly for partnership for LATAM offering, InsureTech Demex raises $9 million, and Iceland offers customers turkey insurance amid Christmas shortages. Now that will be a fun one. All this and more on today's show. Hello and welcome to InsureTech Insider episode 107. I'm Nigel Walsh. Today's show is a new show where we'll be talking about the most interesting happenings in insurance and insurtech from the past few weeks. Joining me today, as always, some amazing guests. First up, we have Ruth Fox Blader, partner at Anthemus. Welcome back, Ruth, to the show. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks very much for having me. It's nice to have you back and uh, seeing your smiling face come back, come back to the show here. Um, for those that don't know, I'm sure it's probably impossible, actually. Is it worth telling us what Anthemus does? Yeah, so Anthemus is a uh, sector-focused fintech and insurtech fund. Uh, we've been operating for about a decade. We're focused on making positive change in financial services. Oh, I really, I really, I really like that little uh, snippet: positive change in financial services. I like, I like that too. Actually, that's a that's a really good tagline. I need to come up with something like that. That's good. <laughs> well, uh, perfectly timed. Um, next up, we have. Making your debut, an old friend, Rennie Vargis, insurance lead for risk analytics and true voice product lead at Deloitte. How are you doing, Rennie? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, Nigel. And thank you for having me here today. I am, I'm, I'm excited, but a bit nervous too. I'm not sure what to expect. So go easy on me. I will go easy with you. For the last six years, I think you and I have worked together for seven years, and I tried to get you on the show for so much. And I had to, you had to get me to leave the business to get you to the show. It's shocking. <laughs> so for those that don't know, I'm sure everyone knows Deloitte, but for those that don't know, tell us more about True Voice and Risk Analytics. Um, sure. I mean, um, so True Voice is basically an AI-based um, interaction voice platform that we have built uh, in Deloitte. So I I led that about f- for the past five years since its inception, and it's now a global enterprise-wide platform which uh, we we basically implement for a lot of our clients, and it's used within contact centers. It's basically a solution that sits and listens to all of your conversations. And if you're trying to predict a certain outcome, that's what you use. You use True Voice for that. And so uh, we really operate within financial services and with, with larger banks. Um, and it's quite powerful and intelligent because it's, it's very different. I call it the, the next gen voice analytics solution. Um, but but that's, that, that's what True Voice is. Um, and risk analytics, that's the team I sit in. And we do lots of other cool stuff just like that. I'm not sure we can have many other people say risk analytics is cool, but I think you got away with it. So we won't let anyone else know. Uh, well, thank you both for joining us. Um, let's get on with the show. So first up, we have Chubb and Chile InsurTech Betterfly form partnership for a LATAM offering. Uh, this is from the Insurance Journal. Chubb is joining with InsurTech startup Betterfly for offerings in Mexico, Colombia, Ecuador, Chile and Argentina as the company seeks to tap into underserved LATAM markets. The partnership will focus on reaching 100 million people by 2025 and allow Betterfly to grow from its current offerings in Chile and Brazil. Chubb, the Zurich-based insurance giant, will make Betterfly's membership and benefits platform available to retail clients through its existing distribution channels, and Betterfly will offer Chubb products. Chile's-based Butterfly, which raised $300 million in a recent Series B funding, provides a digital benefits platform for companies to reward employees healthy habits, such as walking or meditation. 
with life insurance that grows at no cost as the option to donate to different causes. This, to me, is almost too good to be true. And there's so many good things in here that I'd love to unpack. Ruth, maybe I can start with you. I mean, um, a couple of things that, have, that, that jump out at me. Number one, the size of the Series B is quite significant in terms of 300 million. Uh, but number two, you, you talked when you introduced Anthem is about making a positive impact on financial services. And I think this really calls out to both of those, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we could have a whole show probably dedicated to uh, the size of funding rounds in 2021 in InsurTech and, and FinTech more generally. Um, I think that what's really, what fundamentally is is interesting here is that, you know, so much of FinTech has been about democratizing products and services, which were previously reserved for high net worth or uh, you know, wealthy people and making them available to more more customers using technology in insurance that's really been about closing insurance gaps. And here, what we see once again are the types of products which we have enjoyed um, in Europe and in the United States uh, being democratized, being distributed broadly in markets where people haven't previously had access to these products. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And actually, I've been writing predictions, probably like everyone else for the last uh, couple of weeks and months for the years ahead. And I, I can't help but think uh, Latin America, India, Africa seem to be kind of the next hotbed of activity as we give access to people to products that, as you said, that we've seen through the Western world for a very, very long time. It's at a different level of scale, though, as well. And I'm, I'm constantly amazed at what's going on in this space. I mean, there's a, there's a quote here that talks about about 85% of Latin American kids under 18 who lose their father or mother don't have any kind of financial insurance, and that generates economic turmoil in a family. Um, it's, a, it's an alarming, alarming stat, which looks to democratize insurance, as you say. Um, have you seen, I mean, Renny, from your perspective, what, what have you seen out there? Have you, are you seeing the similar sort of approach or similar sort of um, attack into these markets where we've seen big insurers looking to, to move into new spaces? So, I mean, I, I did, I did, I, you know, that was one of the questions that I did think about. And, you know, I mean, to be fair, I actually don't know. I, I don't know if I've seen that many uh, in terms of what uh, Chubb is currently doing with um, with Butterfly. But when I first read this, what was interesting was what I think Chubb did was very smart. Because what Chubb did was, um, you know, it is marginal cost in terms of distribution. They have basically partnered with a local insurtech that has, because if you, if, if you read a bit more about this, this is like a membership platform. So what Betterfly has is a platform with a lot of members and data related to their customers, and they understand their local demographic and customers that they're serving. So what Chubb has basically done is tapped into that, which I, which I feel is very smart. So for what is probably marginal cost in terms of distribution, um, they're partnered with somebody in terms of it's, it's, it's a market that is new and untapped. I mean, that stats are that stats around 85%. It is alarming and also really sad, actually, um, uh, when you read about it. And absolutely, you talk about like, like you know, India and, and LATAM and a lot of the different, uh, you know, Asian, Southeast Asian countries. This These are really markets that we can really, that, you know, probably requires a lot more of these, products to be accessible to them. I do think it's less, and I, as Ruth mentioned, it's, it's probably less relevant. I think the, the problem statement in Europe is, and the US is slightly different, but for these markets, it's, it's absolutely 
I think spot on. And and what Chubb has done is I feel very smart in terms of in terms of this partnership. Um, Renny, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with the comparison between LATAM and Europe. But actually, one of the other things, uh, and again, that I see consistently, no matter where you are, is putting your future insurance into your own hands. So the whole part around traditional life insurance being focused on debt, um, the, the shift to be actually to look at your performance or look at your movement and so much more, this is not new. We've seen it with folks like Discover and Vitality. Vitality, um, yep, I know. I, like, I think there's a new, in, in, in the UK, there's another another company, I think it's called ULife. And this is around ULife is another good example um, around the focus around well-being and using that as part of your your insurance um so how much do we think we can do can we can we put this back with maybe one for you how much do we think we can push the onus back to people or start rewarding for benefits other than financial yeah i think so i'm very interested in this in this kind of um rewarding for benefits and also thinking about new benefits i think when we talk about um emerging markets and approaching uh, customers where there are really serious protection gaps. It's always really exciting. And and this partnership is particularly exciting. But we see protection gaps in the developed world as well. We see big protection gaps in the US. So, you know, we have two companies in our portfolio. um, One, uh, also a life insurance company, a permanent life insurance company called Amplify, which is, you know, helping uh, young consumers uh, build health and wealth, as well as, you know, a a kind of tax um, efficient life insurance policy. And really, they're looking at a market which is underserved in the United States, really tapping into demographics to customer demographics that for some reason, incumbent insurance companies just haven't been able to reach. They've just launched their direct quoting engine for life insurance. You know, they've been growing 20 to 30% month on month. They're really uh, tapping into this customer base, which for whatever reason, whether it's a a distribution or a messaging or a connection uh, that isn't happening, just hasn't been served properly. Another company in our portfolio that I'm really proud to back is a company called Joshin. And it's a totally different uh, employee benefit potential employee benefit, which is care for people with disabilities and families with disabilities. And so when we think about, you know, your question around how do we put uh, kind of power and empower people, uh, put the power into their hands to take care of themselves in a way which feels comfortable for them, and how can the insurance industry empower people to do that, thinking about things like, um, you know, the one in five uh, American families where who are living with uh, complex care needs that really do impact the economy, they impact the workplace, and they impact families, you know, this is something that employers can indirectly help out with. And I think that we'll see more and more a trend for much more comprehensive solutions uh, coming from the insurance industry. Yeah, I think um, your, your point about the U.S. healthcare, whether it's short-term disability or long-term disability, is fundamentally different from what I've experienced personally in in Europe. I'm just getting to grips with it myself now. Even the process of making a claim or or getting engaged is a completely different experience. So it's uh, it does feel rife for for disruption. That's almost an overused phrase, but I think PNC has very much enjoyed lots of the funding and investment over the years. But you just have to look at uh, what you've got out here with with Ladder or Ethos or uh, and then even back to the UK with Dead Happy and many others. But there's, there seems to be a huge raft of brand new startups or even um, 
uh, folks like Haven Life that have you know, significant investment from existing life insurers. But I think all of them go back to the demographic and as three proud parents of young children. Uh, Rennie, I wonder what your um, children would look to or think of insurance. I know what my kids think of insurance. They think it's where daddy goes to work or whatever else, but they, they actually know what it is. Until I've told my son we could actually save your Minecraft world from being blown up if you bought an insurance policy. But what does that mean we need a fundamental shift back to Ruth's point about uh, the demographic? Do we think we're going to engage in a different way going forward for the next generation? How will your how will your children buy insurance? Yeah, I mean, for sure, right? I mean, like if I, I am, you know, I mean, despite how I look, I'm actually, you know, a bit older. Um and so I definitely come <laughs> So, so I come from an older generation and, um, and I always think when I think about insurance products, it, for me, fundamentally, it's to protect. So all I'm, it, it's there to protect me for a rainy day. Um, would my son or my nieces and nephews think that way? I mean, they, they don't even absolutely don't think of it that way. And they are looking the, when, when, if they're buying a product, they're looking for something that is more well-being related, something that they can use today rather than on a rainy day. So I think this fundamentally, the, the whole concept of what insur- what an insurance product is and what it offers to the next generation or to the, like the one demographic, which is our children's generation will change. I actually don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, if I, if I did, um, I'll, I'll probably be be right in there, but uh, doing it. But uh, I, I'm very excited to kind of see maybe, I mean, Ruth, you probably see it far more than, than I do, but, um, and you, you, you're probably exposed to that world. But um, I, I just think, I mean, I still think insurance, the insurance products offered here in the UK, at least, is still very traditional and very box standard. And it's just not exciting. This is why I love the partnership. It takes a traditional uh, 175-year-old organization like Chubb, a brand new startup in an underdeveloped market with a product that's exciting, and they've created a long-term vision or a long-term partnership to make it work. So I'm excited by it for, I think, all of those reasons and much more put together. I just think it's untapped and could be very interesting. And like we saw in a previous show, we could take things out of um, Africa, like the Cadogan uh, economy and things like that, and bring those back into uh, into Europe or elsewhere or, or the Western economy. So I think there's lots of things that we could learn in both directions for this one. Uh, let me move on. The next one is uh, we've gone from one, uh, I'm going to call it almost uh, emerging emergency or crisis to the next. And this is climate and tech Demex raises $9 million. So this is a story from Finextra, the Demex group, the technology company behind a first of its kind platform for analyzing pricing and transferring climate risk. Uh, at scale, announced it's raised $9 million in Series A. The funding was led by financial services and technology investors Anthemus, guess what we're coming first in this one, Ruth, uh, Bluebird Capital and QBE Ventures. Um, extreme weather leads to dramatic fluctuations in revenue and operating costs for businesses around the world. And it's not hard to see any single day, whether you're here in the US and looking at hurricanes or uh, you see the, the, the plight of wildfire elsewhere, that this is impacting every single one of us. Um, these are typically localized to each property, individualized for occupants, and become more impactful than natural catastrophes. Climate resilience requires transcending the financial impacts from catastrophic weather, whilst also operating with everyday weather extremes. Ed Burns, CEO and founder of the Demo Stream, said property owners, tenants, and managers are typically overlooked by the incumbent weather risks marketplace that focuses on agriculture and energy. I'm not quite sure I agree with Ed, but let me start with you, Ruth, if I may, given that you are one of the investors. 
Can you tell us more? Yeah, absolutely. So we got really interested in this company a couple of years ago um, for a couple of reasons. One is this, I think, you know, what, what you what you sort of rightly um, honed in on, which is that with increased climate volatility, you know, as the climate becomes more erratic and more extreme, we're seeing this space for a real need for protection products in the non-catastrophic weather space. So we're not talking about hurricanes. We're not talking about tornadoes. We're talking about, you know, other kinds of volatile weather events, which have serious impact on businesses and on households. Um, the thing that we really loved about Demix was that they were able to take uh, a client's own data, cross-reference it with the petabytes of data and uh, predictive models that they're using, and say, well, it looks like your exposure is this. And I'll give you an example, which Ed gives a lot and which I think is uh, really illustrative. You know, there might be a shopping mall and a hospital in the same zip code sharing a property line. A traditional policy would be priced identically for these two um, for these two businesses or these two, you know, entities which are in the same place because they would experience the same weather. But when you drive by, you can see that the hospital is plowed to blacktop and the parking lot of a shopping mall is full of slush. Their snow removal costs, the, the business impact on their balance sheet is different even if they experience the same storm. And so this, the, the kind of Demex machine is able to price weather risk and the impact on a business's balance sheet business by business according to their actual exposure. And that's really, um, that's really the power of the technology. And that's why we became interested in it. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. There's, there's, I like the story, actually, she linked the two things together there. The other thing that you said that I'm intrigued by, a little bit off topic, but um, you've been interested in this one in, in, for a number of years so I, I, I said, I know it's a little bit off topic, but what's typically your cycle from getting interested to getting invested? Oh, we invested a couple of years ago. So I usually get involved in in projects pretty early. Actually, at Anthemis, we have the we're lucky to be looking in the insurance space from pre-seed all the way through Series C. So we can get involved at a bunch of different um, parts of points in a company's life. This one was one that we got involved with really early, actually. The team um, spun out from uh, Munich Re, and we actually helped them spin it out. So, you know, we loved this, this concept of pursuing localized climate assessments and risk transfer all across the property space. What they're doing... What they were doing previously was looking at these, you know, these individual businesses and helping them to to price out this balance sheet risk. Now we're doing a ton more, uh, really embedding um, the Demex solution in in traditional homeowners insurance policies and in traditional uh, small business insurance policies, like what they just announced recently with Vave. Um, so it's really uh, it's really the machine which is quite magical, and the protection can uh, really be distributed in a bunch of different ways. It's truly fascinating. I think what you've what you're highlighting that I'm seeing more and more is almost the uber personalization of insurance because you have the ability to get the insight data and now, as you said, price them properly and accordingly. Um, I guess, Randy, one for you. 
as I said, in the opening. Actually, sorry, so Nigel, could I, I had a question for Ruth, actually, just in terms of how Demex works, if that's okay. Can I just jump in? So how does it technically work? So you mentioned about this machine. So in terms of how they work with other insurers, do they basically embed this machine as part of as part of some sort of with, with other insur- insurance carriers? Or or is Demex planning to actually offer the, the insurance? Are they planning to be an insurance carrier? That's the part I didn't understand just to, it says how it works. So they work with a number of partners uh, on the risk transfer side. So I think there are a number of different companies in the climate volatility space, which make predictions about how weather is going to impact your business. And I think the thing that's really special about Demix is they they help you understand how climate is going to impact your business and they allow you to transfer the risk. It's one thing to know that you're going to be exposed to you know, $15 million in snow removal costs potentially. It's another to be able to actually offload that risk. So they work with reinsurance partners to do that currently. Um, They work with primary insurers to embed the products and they work with brokers on the distribution side. They really work kind of all across the insurance value chain to get the product in customers' hands. Understood. That that's really helpful. I'm, I'll, I mean, I'm I'm ha- I'm happy to kind of just explain a bit about what I'm seeing in this space, and hence the question I had, Nigel. But I'll let you ask me the question. No, no. <laughs> so uh, no. <laughs> I realize I've just jumped the gun, but um, I, I guess the reason I ask is because actually this is such a topical discussion point amongst a lot of our clients uh, in, the, in the insurance space, and one of the big challenges that we're actually seeing in the market, and you know, one I, I do focus a lot more on on on, on the life and, and protection and in the wealth side. And one of the, the big challenges they have is, this is not just about climate, but just across sustainability and ESG is they are inundated with a lot of information and data and metrics that they're getting from so many different providers. The challenge many of our clients have is how do we interpret that to basically then reflect it well in their products, in as part of their risk calculation. That's the challenge they have. So, you know, someone like Demex, where this is, it's not just a, a data provider, where there are lots of those, you know, in the market. If they, if, if the USP is slightly different, where the USP is actually, we are working with you in this, with this engine, where we can provide you with the, the right metrics, then to understand how you place your risk, then that's a very different, um, uh, proposition, I think, altogether and, and quite attractive. I think equally, um, if you jump into this a little bit further, in any part of our world, insights with the, the ability to take action are just insights and you can't do anything with them. So I love the fact that you're actually saying, we not only know what you can do, but we can help you transfer that risk to, to Ruth's point earlier. I think that's absolutely critical. Um, it, the, the volume of this, though, as well, in terms of what I mentioned earlier, during the first six months of 2021, there was eight separate billion-dollar weather and climate disasters across the U.S. 2020 set a record with 22 events, shattering the previous record of 16. I'm not sure their records I actually want to be beating, but there we go. Um, and there just keeps seem to be daily occurrences. There's, there's hurricanes and tornadoes right now ripping through states with you know massive loss of life and whatever else and, and displacing people. So I guess with that, do we expect or do we see – Maybe for your portfolio, Ruth, are you going to see more and more organizations like Demex pop up with regards to climate and ESG specifically, but not just on the inside, but on the inside and the action side? 
I think this is absolutely a very hot space. I mean, we have Demix in our portfolio. We have another company called Kettle in our portfolio, which is looking at uh, really specific ways to remediate wildfire risk and to understand wildfire, uh, which is, you know, obviously uh, quite a tragic risk if you if you live in uh, the Western United States, uh, Europe, uh, you know, all over the world. Um, you know, I did an interview last year with a paleoclimatologist friend of mine, and what she said is we're in a no analog situation. You know, this is this, the climate kind of catastrophe is, is getting worse. And so I absolutely anticipate that we will see more and more people confronting climate change uh, from the insurance perspective in a number of different ways. You know, some of those ways will be looking to remediate the impact of climate change. Some will be like Demix looking to remediate uh, the financial impact on businesses and households of climate change. But I think certainly we're seeing a kind of new climate tech boom. And the insurance industry was one of the first industries to recognize uh, and to be impacted generally uh, by the changing climate. And I believe that we'll see also increased interest from an insurance perspective. The, the, the last point I'll make before we move on is I, I, I agree with that. It's, really, it's a really interesting perspective. I think the the insurance industry has long been at the center of this. If you look at where the brokers or the reinsurers have been working with um, the creation of the Paris Climate Accord, what we've done on COP26, how we're truly vested in natural catastrophe. I know this is, like, is, 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 is outside that, but how they're truly vested. There was a, there was a really eye-opening case for me a while back where uh, League of the General Investment Management dropped AIG because they hadn't moved far enough ahead in their, in their efforts to address climate and ESG. And I think it's all too easy to um, greenwash what's going on out there right now. But unless we take action now and start to put these mechanisms in place, we're never going to get past it. I mean, the news out of COP26 was quite quite stark and quite bright to say, now is our time. We've, we've almost run out. It's After this, it's, it's, it's almost irreversible. And then it's this case of managing it. So I wonder if it's a case of we can't do anything else but manage it and, and do transfer or there's other things that we could and should be doing, whether it's reducing uh, temperature over time or, or, or otherwise. But for me, no matter how you look at it, insurance is at the very centre of all of this going forward. So certainly an exciting one to watch. And it's going to be years and years or decades rather than something anything short term like we've seen in the rest of the, uh, the insure tech space. Um, with that, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back very soon. What if you could reimagine payments for the insurance industry? What if you didn't have to rely on old complex payment services and infrastructure? Instead, what if your payment provider could help create a user experience that actually stands out? And when it comes time to pay out a claim, it can do so instantly to millions of bank accounts across the UK, Europe and North America. Trustly are leading the charge in unlocking the open banking payments revolution we are seeing today. Their open banking platform redefines the speed, simplicity, and security of payments for more than half a billion consumers across the globe. Visit Trustly.com to read more about how they help insurtech companies make payments a key part of their digital-first approach. Hey folks, over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services, and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. 
Welcome back. Let's get on with the show. So, Leanne, the French startup making insurance companies pay up, raises $1.2 million seed. Uh, this is from Sifted. Leanne, which launched last year, secured the backing of Brent Hoveman's investment fund, First Minute Capital, to help expand the insure tech business. The firm has bet Leanne in a 1.2 million euro seed round alongside 50 partners and several angel investors. Thierry Petit from Shurum Prive, Nicolas Chartier from Aramis Auto, and Benjamin Gagano from Omicar. Insurance documents aren't the most fun thing to read. Now, someone's heard me say that a few times before. In fact, in a recent study in France, it suggested that only about 27% of people read them before they sign. I think it's quite a high number, personally. Uh, that means it's hard for people to know what they're covered for simply because they haven't read through the terms in detail, says Lee Kai, co-founder of the French startup. Liane wants to change all of that. It uses tech to help consumers understand their insurance rights, make claims, and to generally reduce the, the balance between insurance and policyholders. Now, only if this existed before the BI crisis a few years back. Um, Renny, let me start with you, if I may, on this one. Should I dare I even ask you, have you read your own insurance documents? No, I haven't. Isn't this a typical of, it, of our industry in totality? It, it is. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it is typical, but, um, um, you know, I mean, I would like to think that when I buy a product, I know, I know exactly what I'm buying because I do ask questions up front, but that's because I've worked in this industry. Um, and this whole thing, you know, and as you know, my in terms of in terms of my background, I do work a lot with the regulators in terms of when you're buying a certain insurance product. You know, there are certain obligations you have, especially from a regulatory perspective, um, uh, around how you sell the product. So the obligation in terms of our clients, how they sell it, and 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 the mechanism in terms of how it is communicated is very very precise here in the UK market. I know it's not the same across uh, across the world. Uh, but but in the UK, the regulators are really quite hot uh, on, on this matter. So um, so I would like to think I'm quite informed in terms of when I buy something. But you know, like I said, I mean, I, like nothing has gone wrong for me so far. When I make a claim, I, I do get to do get it paid out. So um, maybe I've been lucky. This, so this, but that's you raise a really interesting point, and maybe back to one of Ruth's earlier points about a previous story. Um, you're clearly an educated buyer, so you've got a good view, even though you've not read the T's and C's, of what you are and what you're not covered for and what you should and shouldn't be covered for. But to the point that we made in the earlier story about demographic, when our kids go to buy insurance, I'm pretty certain they're not going to spend all that time reading a 60-page PDF on what they can and what they can't do. So is this an education issue or is this a um, – a capability that we actually need because we're too lazy to read it. We never, we're actually never going to read it at all. Ruth, one for you. Sure. I mean, I guess you know, I'm very interested in document AI and how we apply machine learning to kind of complex policies. One of our really exciting portfolio companies, Eigen Technologies, does that. You know, they are they're putting. Unfortunately, all analysts out of jobs uh, as we speak. Uh, those, you know, and and there and there are lots of documents that we don't understand, you know, and could have a huge systemic impact on the financial system, right? Like non-performing loans and you know all of this kind of stuff. And and they've worked with banks for a long time to do that. I think for me as an investor, when I read uh, about this company, the thing that jumps to mind, which maybe is a little bit kind of where you're going with the question is, can a consumer advocacy company really be venture backable? 
I mean, the cool thing about this is that we all get to find out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they, they might go on to raise lots and lots more money at very high valuations. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, good questions. Is it just going to be kind of culturally toxic for new, you know, 21st century financial services companies and insurance companies to provide policies which are fundamentally too difficult to understand or so difficult that it, they prevent claims? You know, is parametric insurance going to become so widespread that the claims process happens all on its own? Um, lots of different questions. I mean, this this definitely feels like a topic which frustrates people. I, I will be curious to see um, how much people are willing to pay to uh, to kind of remediate that frustration. Oh, and that was exactly the point I had in terms of, so this is a platform or, you know, a, a, a middle kind of ground where you pay a commission where they will then process the claim for you. I know they, I know they do the initial assessment for free in terms of, can you make a claim? Is there, is there a basis for the claim? But then the middle bit is actually processing the claim. And, you know, I mean, when I first read it, when I first read it and, you know, I, and I don't, I don't know if you remember back in, back 20 years ago, like in the early 2000, the whole, you know, the ambulance chasing was such a big thing and it was just seen in, in such a bad light. And, you know, when I first read this, I thought, how is that different? I realized this is slightly different because this is a platform where you can go to rather than being chased. So, you know, you go to and you can get help. But um, I just feel that should be the role of the insurance provider. I don't think we should be going to somebody else. I think I think it's the job for the, of, of the insurance provider to provide us such service. This is super interesting, though. So I, my first take when I read it was, this is PPI all over again. We're abdicating responsibility for what we have or haven't bought because we are haven't got an understanding of what we've got. And then we just break out into this digital ambulance chasing was the phrase I was going to use to almost pass across responsibility to go, have I got a claim or not? And you, you're rolling the dice to work out if you have it or not. And I don't know if that's the, the, the right thing to do, if it's good or bad. I mean, I like the idea that you can say, this is the scenario, am I entitled to a claim? And I wonder whether that was why parametrics is good, but hasn't taken off as yet. I think parametric insurance will absolutely be table stakes for almost everyone going forward. I don't think the insurance companies like it as much because they don't, they don't need to do it just yet. Because my perfect thing, well, my, my usual example of that is we've all probably been delayed on a flight, but never made the claim, even though we have insurance because it's too much hassle. And when you remove the hassle, we're going to start changing our claims ratio and as a net result, paying out more money. So it might be good for the consumer, but it might not necessarily be good for the uh, insurer itself. So Ruth, do you want to jump in? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, this is why I like investing in startups, right? I think it's very difficult for incumbent insurers to change their cost structures. And, you know, when you have a giant you know, FTE, you really need to be very, you know, <laughs> you need to really prevent people from making claims if you're going to want to kind of keep the business moving. Whereas if you have, a, you know, again, a 21st century financial services institution that you're building um, from the bottom up with technology and you have a completely different cost structure and a completely different approach, you can create things like you know, parametric claims provided there's some sort of index, um, you know, against which uh, against which the, the claims will be measured. Um, 
And I think we'll see more and more indices arise, by the way. I mean, Demix is a good example. It's completely parametric, you know, going back to our previous story. Um, you know, if if it gets, if you're, if there's this, you're being insured against a certain amount of rainfall or against a certain amount of snowfall, or, um, you know, if you're a ski mountain and you need there to be a certain amount of snowfall and it doesn't happen, um, all of that is is measurable and, and you're, claim is paid instantly. And I do think that that is going to become table stakes. So, so that's look, super exciting on this. And I think Parametric has got a, has a really interesting player. I think it's going to be one of those uh, slowly, 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 and then all of a sudden it becomes table stakes for absolutely everyone to have. I still worry about advocating responsibility for knowing what we've bought, either by not reading our policies in the first place. But the next part of the service they're offering, the paid part of the service, is then managing the claim for you. And actually why I like this is, if you start to bring together some of the mega trends that I see or everyone's seeing around insurance, one of them is the things like embedded insurance. And you mentioned the word embedded a minute ago, uh, Ruth, as well. If you get embedded insurance taking place and you're plugging into a different distribution channel or doing different things, one of the byproducts for me is insurance companies and their distribution channels may end up becoming giant TPAs, i.e. great claims and service organizations, of which there are many today already. So actually, is this a opportunity for someone like this startup to have a free service to get you in and then build a wonderful claims organization business? Or is that their target market where they can go and sell the service to it? Would love your perspective on, is that the market that we'd go after? Is it the administration of claims going forward uh, where there's already a healthy and large competition on a global basis? I think the TPA market is a great call, actually. I think that's a great... I don't even think it's an analogy. I think it's probably just a, a good prediction for ultimately where um, a company playing in this space lands. And, you know, I think that that is a, an absolutely ripe for disruption part of the industry. And I say go for it. Ruth, thanks for that. Ready before we wrap up, anything else from you on this one? Yeah, I, I was actually going to add, I, I think there is, so in this, for this particular story, uh, there is a much bigger opportunity. And, you know, in, in this piece, and Ruth, you mentioned the whole, in the, the whole, the whole area sector around document, intelligent document extraction uh, is, is very much a hot area in terms of where we're seeing insurers really capitalizing and, and using this type of technology you mentioned, Eigen. Um, when I first read this with, with regarding Leanne, I did think that, you know, if this is used correctly, I mean, the, um, the, the abundance of information and intelligence that we can get from reading these docu- the, the contracts and understanding the terms and conditions that people have signed up to, the, the, I think the use case for technologies such as Eigen could be quite powerful. And I think, and I'm not really sure how Leanne is actually structured and based on the funding size that that that's that they have published, I'm not sure how much of technology sits behind it. I could be very wrong. But um, if I look at it from, from a technology perspective, it could be a really good, good area to, to, to expand on. I, I couldn't agree more. I think what we're highlighting collectively here is that insurance is complicated and if we can lean on technology that we know and love and be told an answer one way or the other, then it could be really interesting to, uh, to help consumers, given that in France alone, there's something like 13 million unpaid insurance claims, totaling about 40 billion euros. So it's a, it's a big market that you can leverage technology to uh, jump into. Let me move on to our next story. Uh, and this is some private health patients in Australia, moving all around the world here, are paying $800 more for the same procedure. 
This from The Guardian. Uh, Australian Medical Association calls for a higher standard as return after a report finds patients are paying hundreds more due to different insurer rebates. Uh, different insurer rebates for the same procedure result in some patients paying uh, $800 more for a coronary bypass uh, and almost $600 more for a knee replacement and more than $500 more for childbirth, the report found. The AMA, the Australian Medical Association, President Dr. Omar Korshid said navigating insurance policies remains confusing and complex for patients. Benefits paid by insurers for the exact same service vary significantly. And our selection shows that the smallest variation across a handful of insurers was about 8%, but goes as high as 46%, he wrote in a forward to the report. Now, I think this is almost linking some of these stories together here about policies being complicated and difficult to understand per the previous story. But, but equally, doesn't this, this almost smacks us in the face of being unfair for the same things that are out there? I mean, how can it be different now? I don't even know where we start with this one. I mean, the report found most complaints about private health insurance were about non-payment or delayed payment of benefits or disputes about the gap uh, paid, premium increases and so much more. But the amount of variability is why the AMA called for a minimum amount of return to the health consumer. I think if I look to the UK market, is it the hospitals and the surgeons that define this rather than the insurance organisations? Um Renny, uh, should I start with you? I mean, what, what's your perspective on variability and uh, ra- or ranges of variability in these sorts of procedures? Should they be the same? Should they be different? Yeah, I mean, first of all, when I read the story, I mean, it is really sad, right? It's really sad that in terms of in terms of how you can get that much of variability between the different providers and and, the, and for the different procedures. Uh, so, um, so, so fundamentally, for me, this shouldn't be happening. Um, so that that that's that's the principle. So um, if if and if this is specific within the Australian market, and I don't know, I, I don't know if if the problem is 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 as vast or is as in in, in other markets. I've not heard the specific one here in in the in the UK market, but. In Australia, I have, you know, I have been following different parts of within financial services where such reforms are taking place. So this is not specifically just within uh, within within the uh, health insurance space. In the banking space, um, there for years they've been going through a lot of reforms around making it fairer and more transparent. Uh, for a lot of the consumers, so um, so my view is that it's probably just time because I know that in terms of reforms, uh, financial services reforms within the banks, that started about five years ago in Australia. So my, my feeling is that sp- this specifically insurers are now uh, waking up to this and realizing that they probably have to just bridge that variability, that gap. But if I jump, in, if I jump into that a little bit further, Ruth, perhaps. Is there a role for the regulator here to come down and say, actually, this is how we can standardise things and allow us to actually create either units of work or effort required for, uh, it might be slightly different in health because of the, the variability, but is, is there a regulator opportunity here that will allow us to bring more standards and almost treat customers fairly in, in all these instances? Yeah, for sure. I I don't have high hopes of, um, of regulators having too much success. There was... Uh, you know, not the same market, not the same jurisdiction. There was a, but there was a fantastic article in the New York Times um, in August by Sarah Cliff and Josh Katz called "Hospitals and Insurers Didn't Want You to See These Prices." Here's why, and it's really about the extreme variability of pricing for procedures in the U.S. Uh, medical system. Um, 
we invested in uh, an early stage uh, health insurance startup called Unify in the U.S., um, which allows uh, employers to provide the highest quality healthcare options for their employees. Uh, there's an app that uh, makes these assessments about where procedures are 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 you know, more justly priced, let's say, and proximal to employees so that they can, you know, take advantage of some of the information and data which is available. Um, and also, you know, offers like small network plans, a really innovative stop loss to protect against un uncapped financial exposure. But I think, you know, there are many markets where, um, this, this type of uh, healthcare system prevails. And if you live in a place like France, where I live, you are not exposed to this at all whatsoever. So these stories can be quite shocking, but are, are really quite prevalent. Yeah, I think we, we see that. I mean, having lived in, in London for so long, I think we forget how lucky and fortunate we are with the National Health Service that these things are almost oblivious to. We have standard pricing for um for most prescriptions and whatever else. So it's very, very straightforward and very easy to forget how complicated it is just outside, uh, as soon as you move outside the, the, the UK border. Um, but but, you're, but the other point here is, it links back to the previous story, insurance is complicated, way more complicated than it should be. Um, and to your point about um, the startup, you know, how do, we, how do we get more people to understand and review their policies? Is there a way that we're ever going to do it? It might be hard, when it's commodity, and there was a, a recent story in the press in the UK, again, a different um, line of business, but uh, a gentleman's car windows had been smashed and it smashed the windscreen, I think a side window. Uh, and he angrily tweeted or wrote about it saying, actually, I don't have a windscreen. I don't have glass cover. I've got one glass cover because it would only cover one piece of glass, not multiple ones that happened to take place in a, um, uh, a vandalism case on his car. So actually, the nuances of that, and back to Rennie, to your point, saying, no, you, you know, given that you're so close to the regulator and, and, and what's being written, when you take a gamble by not reading what you're covered for, or actually planning about what every single scenario that you could get into, you are taking a gamble each and every time. And when you shift to health insurance, you're taking a gamble with your life in this instance. And my biggest fear here is, is my biggest fear here is, education mm -hmm. you can't go to any of these people and tell people what it is you're covered for and what it is you're not if they don't understand it in the first place so so i think there are there are three dimensions here right i mean in terms of responsibility yeah ab absolutely the the end consumer the policyholder the person buying the, the, the product yes they have a responsibility just understand what they're buying there is a responsibility on uh, you know on on the on the insurance uh, provider side um, I still think that they should be playing a much bigger role as part of if you're going through that journey and selling a product to your end consumer, just be very clear and make it as easy as possible. And this is why a lot of our clients are going through that journey right now. How do we simplify that journey, that process in terms of selling a product and when someone buys it, because the day of filling it, like filling out 30, 30 different pages of forms of, is long past, right? We're past gone. So it is all about just really simplifying that journey. And then number three, you know, and, and Ruth, I, I know you, you have no faith in the regulators, but I do. <laughs> and, you know, and, and having worked close in, you know, and this, especially in the UK market, um, you know, they, they have they they do have a much bigger focus around how do we protect 
the end consumers. And, and um, one of the spaces that I work very closely is actually around vulnerable customers. So, you know, we, when we are looking, it's about the application of technology around identification and taking care and the treatment around customers who are potentially vulnerable, who are vulnerable, just to make sure that, you know, that we're giving them the right support to understand and to buy. And so the way I see this is that there are, the responsibility lies three ways, the, the end consumer, the, the insurance provider, and also the regulator. Well, let, let me add one more participant to this group. Shouldn't doctors or physicians be held more accountable as well? And as a, as a left field comment, I've got some friends out there building insurance businesses for pets. And it's almost identical in the veterinary space between the insurance provider, the veterinary surgeon and the consumer. So the variability between procedures on your pet versus procedures on humans seem to be as uh, unpredictable, to be fair, in this instance. So um, from a doctor perspective, Charles Maskell Knight, a former senior public servant in the Commonwealth Department of Health and Private Health, also said most insurance have the same no known gap arrangements available to doctors across the ACT in New South Wales, he said. Um, but the, the report glossed over the relationship gap between payments and premiums. And I just wonder whether, uh, I had this from a friend here uh, a few weeks back, that turned around and said, I have a condition, I've been to three different people and got seven different answers. So why is there no standardized way of making this a little bit more simple for, I guess, a known condition? Are we being influenced in the wrong way by drug organizations or doctors that are incented in a different mechanism or different way to get a different outcome, I guess? So I wonder if there's a how do we realign the incentives for all the participants? I don't know, Ruth, if you want to jump into this before I move on to the next one. I mean, it's it's such a huge and complex topic, and I don't want to sound too cynical, so I, I might not fully answer the question. And, I, and I'm not totally cynical about the regulators uh, either. I think that they are, you know, I think that there's, it, it's highly complex. There's a lot of moneyed interests and, you know, they're, they're dealing, uh, combating a lot. But I would say is I have even more sympathy um, for normal people who are trying to use insurance products in order to protect themselves from catastrophic harm. And I don't believe that the onus should be uh, entirely on busy people whose education levels vary. I think that we do have the opportunity to create more just products and to deliver those products more justly. And I uh, am very optimistic that uh, a lot of the companies that I'm working with and a lot of the companies that I'm seeing in the emerging technology space are trying to do that. Yeah, it's funny that the, the show seems to have taken a lovely twist around complexity difficulty and education and either we we give the responsibility to technology to try and help us or we leverage technology to enable us to understand these things better but we're coming back to a fundamental never mind protection gap but education gap and what we're actually going to go and do and if the average job i remember having this conversation with my mum, who's in her late 70s um about what she's covered for what she's not covered for i'm like mum, it's up to you but these are the things that you get and she's Maybe maybe you do when you have uh, time on your hands, you do read through these policies and actually just created more fear than, than confidence in, in that instance. So certainly want to, to look after and it's uh, certainly, want to, certainly want to watch as we as we see this market develop. But hopefully the regulator can keep things normalized for us all. And especially, as you said, Randy, about vulnerable customers. 
Yeah. Can I, uh, the one point I was going to add, Nigel, and I know we're running out of time. So, uh, you know, I've got nieces and nephews all in their 20s. And what I've been very surprised, and so they're, they're the next generation, they are very, they are very well informed. Um, they are far more informed than I was in my 20s in terms of when they're buying such products. They do ask the right questions. They are reading the right things. So um, I'm, I'm very optimistic. And you go back to education because I think we are looking, uh, we're looking at future generations. And I hope my son's generation is going to be the same, where they, they are going to get better and they, they are most due to, to a lot of these, these things. Because they're learning. They're learning from us, right? I couldn't agree more. I just worry about their appetite to understand and engage with it going forward. And fundamentally, insurance has to change our model. Otherwise, we just if we keep selling it in this way, as you said earlier, we're going to lose these people along the way. Yeah. Um, let me wrap up with the story I mentioned at the very outset. And one with a bit more cheer to it. Uh, I send off a customer's turkey insurance amid Christmas shortages. This is money uh, reported that shoppers have been stocking up on food in advance as experts have warned there could be a lack of Christmas turkeys uh, due to supply chain shortages. While some are playing it safe and buying a turkey to freeze now, Iceland has taken matters a step further by offering customers turkey insurance. This is going to go so wrong, isn't it? Uh, the first 150,000 customers who registered for an Iceland account and booked a delivery stop between 11th and 17th of December will be guaranteed a turkey in time for Christmas Day. Iceland is so confident that these deliveries will arrive on time that it's promised to pay for the entire Christmas shop should any of it arrive late. Now, I love this for so many different reasons. Um, Reddy, let me start with you. What's your take? Have you got turkey insurance? No, no, I don't. And I didn't know about this. Uh, so I would, uh, I, I would have signed, I would have probably signed up to it if I knew about it. I mean, but, you know, I mean, my cynical side says it's a marketing <laughs> gig, right? So uh, that, that's my cynical side. But, um, but oh, well, well, we'll, we'll see. We've seen it before. We've seen pizza, uh, pizza deliveries where you can ensure that it turns up hot and not an absolute mess gets to your house and they'll pay you back. I think Domino's did that a few years back. Um, I kind of agree um, it's a little bit marketing and a little bit fun, but the serious side to this is supply chain. Ruth, maybe one for you to pick up, because I think the global supply chain crisis, we saw uh, the ship stuck in the canal earlier this year, I think it was, and so much more on the supply chain issues that that's caused are, are, are really serious right now. So I wonder if you um, could comment on, on what we're seeing there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, this supply chain and logistics space has been a space of great interest to us even before COVID. Um, you know, the, 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 su the supply chain crisis, I guess, really did kick off with uh, the lockdowns in China and then was exacerbated, as you said, <laughs> by the stuck ship, which was kind of shocking that that could happen and have such a huge impact. And then the polar vortex. So for a lot of people in the United States, I mean, I, my dad would have totally have bought couch insurance. He bought a new couch and all of the foam apparently is manuf manufactured in Texas. And once again, it's that non-catastrophic weather just got really cold and Texas isn't usually really cold. So it screwed up a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I think that this is, this is sort of shining a very bright light on a couple of things. If we want to be actually serious about it, first of all, kind of a move from insurance products to services. Like, yeah, it's insurance because they're saying, if you don't get it, we're going to do this thing for you. You know, there's some sort of remediation for your loss. 
but you know, it's, it, they're, they're delivering a turkey. Um, I don't think that that's historically the, been the role of insurance companies. Um, and, you know, and I think it's, it's really, there's just a lot of anxiety right now. It's a little bit fun, but it's been a really hard, hard slog. <laughs> you know, 2021 was, it was really hard, 2020 hard. And, uh, I think that, that companies are sort of recognizing that this, uh, confluence of different factors is, has kind of got people down. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think Rennie was right in her point about it being a bit, a bit of fun and a bit of marketing. Um, the the other word I, I I try not to use it for for so many reasons um, is Brexit. And Brexit, it's almost a confluence of um, or accumulation. If I go back to my good old insurance words of of things that are all building up, and you've highlighted so many, uh, Ruth. But Brexit is also. Um, looming is making it harder to get goods into the country and so much more. Um, is this another factor in it, Rennie? Is it just a, is it just the state of the world that we're in right now? We have to be positive as to how we emerge over the coming months and live with the pandemic that we've got and all the things and the, the conditions that we have in play right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's no doubt. I mean, in my mind, at least, the um, the whole issue around supply chain, not just for turkeys, but just across the board here in the UK. You know what we had with the with oh my gosh, what was a hideous like a show around the um, around the gas stations <laughs> shutting down because that was a supply chain issue. Uh, all of that was you know combination of uh, Brexit, COVID. Um, you know, it's just been a horrible past two years. And that's just no doubt. So, uh, and I think all of that just coming t together and like the way I see it is that we just need to be so positive right now because I think anything else is just going to, um, <laughs> anything else is probably just going to tip us over the corner. So, um, so I like the Iceland thing. It's a bit gimmicky, but we can laugh about it. Well, let me finish. Um, I should, you all know I should be in marketing. Let me finish with this. It just proves insurance is for life, not just for Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Come on. That was almost funny. <laughs> that was, that was, that was, that was, that was reasonably <laughs> terrible dad joke territory. I am known for it. So I apologize profusely. <laughs> uh, well, look, thank you so much for both of you for joining us. That wraps up the new show for this time. Uh, where can we find out more about you? Either LinkedIn, Twitter or elsewhere. Ruth, where can we find out more about you? You can follow me on Twitter on Fox, F-O-X-E underscore news. Still the best Twitter handle ever. Just amazing. <laughs> Rennie, where can we find out more about you? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still old school. So on LinkedIn, yes, it's just I'm still on LinkedIn. So just, yeah, yeah, ping me. I'll get you to Twitter one of these days, I promise. I, I, I need to, I like to come up with a snazzier name. That was, that was good. Uh, and you can find me at Nigel Walsh on Twitter. And I'm not actually giving out about e-scooters. There's so many in Manhattan. I am almost in shock. Um, thank you to all of my guests. Thank you for listening. If you, if you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make the show better and helps others find us too. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11 colon FS or InsureTech Insider. Find us on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders or email podcasts at 11fs.com thanks very much and see you next time <laughs>